0: Phenomenal. X doing all he can. Watch the full 13. Larry inbounds the ball. Now on the left of your screen, watch McDaniel
1: harass Larry as much as he can. And right there, Larry will just back him down. And Mango, that's tough. What can you do, Jimmy?
0: I don't know. Break his leg, I suppose. About the only thing he could do. Stop. Some of you had wanted to know what I looked like when I played in college, and I just want to make sure that you saw <laughs> that. How many of you had the privilege of watching Larry Bird play back in the 80s? One of the most phenomenal basketball players that has ever has ever played the game. Uh, just a truly remarkable player. Well, some of the things that people don't know about Larry though, Larry was also one of the cockiest players who ever played. He is actually notorious uh, for his trash talking. In fact, if you, want, if you want some fun, just pull up Larry Bird trash talking and they'll give you all kinds of clips of things that Larry did, did uh, while he played. This particular their game against the Seattle uh, Supersonics. They were playing in Seattle. Seattle tied the game with 13 seconds to go. Boston uh, called a timeout. And two things about this that a lot of people don't know and kind of the backstory: One, um, he, Larry was being guarded by Xavier McDaniel, and when he came out of the timeout, Larry actually went up to Xavier McDaniel and said, I'm going to get the ball, and I'm going to shoot it in your face, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> he won the game. The other thing that was absolutely crazy was when they called the timeout and Boston, everybody went to their timeout, you know, came, came over to their, their team huddle. Uh, Casey Jones, who was the coach for the Boston Celtics, was diagramming a play for Dennis Johnson to take the last shot. And as he was diagramming, he said, we're going to go around this pick and, and you're going to get the ball to Dennis and Dennis, you're going to, you know, you're going to try to take this last shot for it. And Larry Bird goes, No get the ball to me and get out of my way. And Casey Jones, who was a fantastic coach, looks at Larry Bird and says, you play, I'll coach. And he turns back to the huddle and he said, you heard Larry, get him the ball and get out of his way. <laughs> True story. Yeah, Casey Jones actually told that story when he was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I, I thought it was really funny. I thought about that, that this whole play this week when I was working on the message because, you know, for Boston, for the Boston Celtics, Their hope as a team with their backs against the wall, their hope was not in Casey's ability to diagram a play. It was not in some strategy to win the game. Their hope was in a person. It was in Larry Bird. Get him the ball and get out of his way. And you know what? That's our hope. Not in Larry Bird. (laughs) Somebody much better than Larry Bird. Our hope, too, is in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, it's really important to talk about that because my guess is in some way, shape, or form, uh, all of us here could use some hope in our life. And here's my question to you today. So what are you putting your hope in? Uh, I hope today that if you haven't yet, that today you will claim Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That today, for your eternal destiny, that you'll put your hope in Him. But my prayer is also that on this journey of life that we're taking, that is, you find yourself in need of hope, that he will be the one that you will turn to. Your hope is not in a strategy. Your hope is in a person, and his name is Jesus. Now, I want you to, if you would, take your sermon outline out. You can uh, join along with me. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online and have been here. Great, great to have you with us today, too. We're in a series called Dead Man Talking, and, and we've been talking about the story of Lazarus. Or who, a friend of Jesus, whom Jesus came and he raised him from the dead. And we've been doing something a little weird with this story. We've been actually going through the story backwards. And uh, we started on Easter Sunday talking about the story of Jesus actually raising Lazarus from the dead and how remarkable it is. And it's never too late for a new beginning, which is just a great theme. Last week, we talked about the shortest verse in the Bible, which is what? Jesus wept. And we talked about how that shows the empathy that God has for us. And, and I think it's so important for us to understand. God gets you. He knows you. He gets everything about you. Today, I want to pick up the story as Jesus is coming to where Lazarus is. And, and I want you to look at where Mary and Martha put their hope. Let's go. Let's throw that passage up on the screen. Let's roll. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now I want you to look at this next couple words. But even now I know that God will give you Whatever you ask. Even now. On your outline, if you keep these notes, why not you just circle those two words? Even now. Because my guess is that there are at least a few of us that are at that even now place where, Lord, I just don't need you, man. I need you desperately. And I want you to just hear the hope that Martha had of him. Even now, I believe that God will give you whatever you ask. Let's keep reading. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And Jesus told her, read it with me, church. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I want you to underline that on your outline. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus continued to speak. He said, everyone who believes in me, uh, who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha. Look at me, church. Do you believe this? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? And in life's darkest moments, that he really is still that light of hope? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I love this. I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God, and I just love this in the story because what Martha is saying is, "Jesus, I trust you. I don't know why all these things have happened. I don't know why this has come you know, happened as it has. But here is what I, I've I've always believed: You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and I really do have my hope in you. Now this this week when I was when I was kind of unpacking this thought, I, I started thinking about. Um, you know, where, where do we sometimes put our hope when, you know, when, when, when we really feel like there's something that we really need from God, when we, you know, feel like there's something that we're really hoping will happen, if there's something we really, you know, feel like needs to change or come about, what, where do we put our hope? And I identified a few things, kind of looking back at my own path, maybe you can identify some of these too. Here, here's, here's a few of them that I, that I thought about. First of all, sometimes we put our hope in our ability to pray. We put our hope in our ability to pray. It's kind of like we, we have this think, thinking that, you know, if I just say the right words in the right way, if I just kind of come up with this, you know, if I can frame this, then God's going to have to do what I tell him to do. You know, we'll, we'll, you know we'll, we'll say it just right, and we'll try to put these words right together, and we're going to, you know, and we're going to, in Jesus' name, you know, we're going to have, we're gonna, we, but if we just kind of say it with the right tone and the right way or whatever, that, that God responds to that, look at me, I just want you to hear, no, 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 now, that's magic we're talking about now. That's an incantation. That's putting hope in your own ability to form a sentence. Jesus was real clear in Matthew 6, God's not impressed by our many words. He's not hes not impressed by our lengthy prayers. He's not, not impressed by how flowery of words we string together. God is moved by our heart. Hope is a person. It's not our ability to pray. Does that make sense to you? Some of you might remember, I, I thought this was kind of interesting, but a few years ago, um, a guy came out with a book called The Prayer of Jabez. You, some of you remember that a while back? What was interesting? It's a great book. It's a great little book, and and it's it's a really interesting, kind of talking about the, the the prayer of Jabez from the Old Testament. But what I thought was interesting was how many people took that prayer and felt like if they kind of said that prayer over things that God was going to do what they wanted. It was kind of like they found this magical, these magic words that was like open sesame, you know, and and you know, they get, and God, you know, kind of have to do that. And 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 that's not the intention of prayer at all. Kind of tied to that, another way that time, place we put hope is sometimes we put hope in our own ability to believe. Sometimes we put hope in our own ability to believe. And that's, that's the idea that faith is my ability to think something into existence. It's, it's when we, instead of thinking about putting faith in Christ or faith in God, we put our faith in ourselves and our ability. To, if I just close my eyes and go, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, that that's going to happen. That's mind over matter. That's faith in us. That's not faith in God. Does that make sense to you? And sometimes i found that, you know, we, we do that. It's kind of like we're so afraid that what is not going to happen our way that we convince ourselves that I have, to, I have to really believe it is going to happen rather than believing that this is in the hands of God. Kind of tied a, a little bit to this is sometimes we just kind of back off of it altogether And we have faith in fate. We put our hope in fate, F-A-T-E, fate. Not hope in faith, but hope in fate. Fate is this belief that, you know what? What's going to happen is going to happen. And I have no influence over it whatsoever. And I'm just hoping that the fate gods are with me. And um, it's a very fatalistic approach to life. It's, it's you know, I don't have any, any say-so in this. I don't have any power to influence this. Um, this summer, I'm actually going to do a, a series, um, probably along the title of Lies We Believe. And I'm going to talk about some of the stuff, that, the ways of thinking that we kind of get to. And this is one of them, that whatever, que Sarah, whatever will be, will be. And some of, us, some of us have said stuff like that. Well, you know, it was, it was meant to be. Well, that's a real fatalistic. And if that's true, then why in the world do we pray? If, if we have no power, if we have no influence, if God doesn't really respond to the prayers of His people, if we can't change anything, then why in the world does God tell us to pray? James says that the prayers of righteous person are powerful and have great effects. And if we take God at His word, that means that we do influence the decisions that, that God makes. We do have power. He does respond to the prayers of His people. Amen. And so yeah, I'm, my hope is not in fate. I you know put fate aside. My hope is in a person and his name is Jesus. Let me give you one more. And I thought of this and it's when we put our hope in our own goodness. We put hope in our own goodness. <laughs> Come on. How, how many of you are, are are like me and then when it got close to Christmas time you were a lot better child than you were the rest of the year? Anybody ever do that? Yeah, it was kind of like when, you know, when October, November rolled around and I knew mom and dad were Christmas shopping, all of a sudden my behavior got a lot better. I was, I said please and thank you a lot more. It was kind of like, you know, if I just, if I'm just good enough, mom and dad are going to get me the presents that I really want. And and sometimes we take that thinking into our spirituality and it's like we have this ability, if I've just got to do everything right, if I just do everything right, then God's going to give me what I want. If I, if I, you know, if I come, like, man, if there's something going on, and I really want God to do this. I'm, I'm going to church every Sunday, and I'm going to read my Bible every day, and I'm, and I'm doing it all. And those are all wonderful things to do. But you do understand we don't manipulate God with our own behavior. Amen? Our hope is in a person. Jesus didn't say, there's a resurrection or here's a resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the Christ. Now, I want to help you with this today. So, Pastor Steve, how how do I really begin to put my hope in Christ? What what would that look like for me? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you just some, some help with that. You ready? This is going to sound really simple, but this is absolute truth. You ready? Here we go. You have to get to know Jesus. You have to get to know Jesus. One of my favorite stories in the last couple years, It was a story of a woman uh, from South Florida who was um, out walking at three in the morning. Uh, Not really a great time to be out, Uh, but she was out walking at three in the morning, and her ex-boyfriend, who she had lived with for eight months, they had broken up, he uh, came, saw her and he was riding up on his bicycle, and they got into this altercation on the sidewalk, and uh, they got into an argument, and uh, she, he, they started yelling back and forth, and he slapped her a few times and all this kind of stuff. Well, she, had, uh, she was blonde, and she had, I guess, some kind of dark-haired wig thing that was woven into her hair, and he grabbed it, and he yanked it out of her hair in anger, and he rode off on his bicycle. And so she calls the police, and the police come, and they're taking the report, and she tells them, you know, he slapped me, he hit me, he stole my my hair hair weave, all this kind of stuff, and she, what's his name? And she gave him his first name, and they said, well, what's his last name? She said, I don't know. And the officer said, You lived with him for eight months and you do not know his last name. And she said, No. And I'm reading this, I'm reading this story, and I'm just shaking my head, going, How in the world do you live with a man for eight months and not even know his last name? Well, come on, let's let's be honest for a second. Sometimes when we talk about our own journey, sometimes we are people who, who come to church Sunday after Sunday and we're kind of around Jesus. But we don't really know Jesus. Sometimes we've been close to God, but we've not really taken the time to get to know who he is. Can I tell you why Martha and Mary had a lot of confidence in Christ? They knew him. They knew him. Before this event whole took place, they had been connected to Jesus for a while. In fact, throw that up from Luke chapter 10. Said Jesus and his disciples, this is earlier uh, before the time of Lazarus' uh, resurrection. Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now, what I want you to understand is that long before Jesus ever came to do this whole thing with Lazarus, Mary and Martha had become friends with Him. They they had had Him in His home. There had been at least some interaction with Him. They had sat at His feet. They had listened to His teaching. Jesus was more than some rabbi down the road that they had heard about. He he was someone they knew face to face. He was more than just a teacher or rabbi. He was a friend. Look at me. Is He your friend? if a person on the street just walked up to you randomly and talked about you being a Christian you said yeah i'm a Christian they said what what can you tell me about jesus what would you be able to say you know one of, one of my discoveries is is this i think i think some of the struggle that we have sometimes in really trusting jesus and having faith in jesus and putting our hope in jesus Is we really don't know Jesus. And and I think what happens for us is the more we get to know him, the more we trust him. Amen. I I love what Paul said. Throw it up with me. Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, I know whom I have believed. I love that. I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. And I want that for you. I, I want to encourage you, um, if, if, if just as you've, if you think about this in a very practical way, I, I really want to encourage you, especially as we're heading into the summer, maybe have a little bit more time, to really encourage you to just spend some time with Jesus. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. Out at the, uh, out at the lobby we have, uh, in the, at the Welcome Center, we have the, these handouts for you. Uh, this is called The Essential Jesus. It's 100 Readings that are about the, the prophecies about Jesus, the life of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, the prayers of Jesus, uh, the, the teachings of Jesus. This will give you some time just to saturate yourself with who he is. I just want to encourage you. What if, what if you took this and beginning sometime here in May, just begin to read about Jesus. What if you spent a summer with Jesus? What if you spent the summer just getting to know who he is, getting to know what he said, getting to know how he interacted with people. Here's what I can promise you. Your faith in Christ and your hope in Christ will go up as you get to know Him better. Amen? Here's a second way. We're about how do we put our hope in Jesus? Well, consider this. Consider what Jesus has done for others. When your back is against the wall and, and you're struggling with, with what to believe, and you're, you're needing some hope, and you're asking yourself the question, I wonder if God really will do this. I wonder if God really can do this. I wonder if Jesus actually does stuff like this. Here's what I want you to think. Think about, has God done some pretty cool stuff for the people around you? And I guarantee you, you, right here in this room, if we took time, you could hear story after story of persons who were in deep, dark places that, that doctors and other people said had no hope, and God intervened in a powerful way. And what I want to tell you is this Jesus who did this for them, he can do that for you. You do know that when we talk about Lazarus and what, what happened, that this wasn't the first time Jesus had done something like this. This is why when you talk about Mary and Martha, they are people who had already seen Jesus heal. They had already seen different stuff that he do. In fact, throw this up on the screen. This is the story of Jairus's daughter who got really sick, and she was, she was dying, and they tried to get Jesus to where she She was. But she died before she got there. And when she got there and Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Look what it said. It said the crowd laughed at Jesus because they all knew that the girl had died. She's done. It's over. Jesus, just go home. But look at this. But then Jesus took her by the hand and in a loud voice said, my child, get up. Read it with me. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. You see, that's why Martha could look at Jesus and said, even now, I know God will do whatever you ask. Even now. I've I've seen you. I've seen you in action. I've seen what you've done for other people. And when I've seen what God can do for other people, you know what? That wells up the faith within me. Um, I saw a story just two weeks ago uh, in the news. that I I just thought this is such a great story, so inspirational. I hope this story, no matter what you're facing, if you want a story to give you hope, let this one speak to you. Play that video for me, would you please?
2: I didn't see what he was yelling at. I didn't see the ambulance coming, but I remembered him yelling. That was the last thing I heard from him.
1: On a Sunday morning in 1997, Julie Kemp, her husband Andy, and their eight-year-old son Landon were driving home from church when an ambulance returning to its station broadsided their car in an intersection. Andy died instantly. Rescuers stabilized Julie, but did not realize there was a third passenger in the car.
2: They couldn't see his body because of the damage that was done to the driver's side of the car, and Landon was sitting behind his dad. And when they saw Landon's shoe, it took a deeper search for his body. When they pulled Landon out um, from the back of the car, he was not breathing. And they all started working on him right away to bring him back.
1: Landon was resuscitated and life flighted to Carolina's medical center. He died two more times that day. And both times, he was brought back to life. Doctors didn't give Julie much hope for his survival.
2: They told me that if he lived, which did not look good, but that if he lived, that he would be like an eight-year-old baby, that he would not know how to walk or talk or to eat. I was so desperate that that was okay. I would take that just to have him. He was all that I had.
1: At her husband's funeral, Julie remembers feeling abandoned by God.
2: I was very disappointed, heartbroken. And while I'm sitting at the funeral, I'm fussing at God. I don't understand um, why this happened. I don't understand um, why he didn't send angels to protect us. But in the very next breath, I'm praying as hard to him as I've ever prayed in my life for Landon to live.
1: Landon had suffered massive head trauma during the accident and remained in a coma.
2: He's hooked up to all kinds of machines to keep him alive. And there are no signs. There's nothing good or bad. They see nothing happening. I kept praying that he would open his eyes.
1: After two weeks in a coma, Landon opened his eyes. To everyone's amazement, he had no brain damage. But in the midst of her joy, Julie knew she had to tell Landon about his father.
2: He had scars on his face, and his head was just full of hurt. And I didn't want to hurt him anymore. So I asked Landon. I said, Landon, do you know where your dad is at? And he told me, yes, I know where he's at. I saw him in heaven.
1: Landon is now grown, but still clearly remembers his amazing
3: experiences in heaven. I remember being able to see my dad and his friend, Olin Palmer, who had passed away less than a month before he did, also in a car accident, and Olin's son, Neil Palmer, who had died on a four-wheeler years before. Never one of us said a word to each other, but we were just all standing there.
2: He looked over to me and says, oh, mom, By the way, I forgot to tell you, I saw your other two kids. And I just looked at him because um, I wasn't sure what he was talking about. But um, I had two miscarriages before Landon was born. We had never shared that with Landon. He did not know that um, we had lost two children before him.
3: I knew that they were my siblings, even though no one had ever told me about them. Just being in heaven. I guess you know you know your own or you know who everyone is. He says each time
1: he died, he had a different experience in heaven. During the third time, he says he met Jesus and was given a mission.
3: It was almost as if like um, a preview of a movie to where you only get to see certain bits and pieces of things. Jesus came to me and told me that I have to go back to earth and be a good Christian and tell others about him.
1: Today, through Grief Share, Landon and Julie use their story to help others who are struggling with loss and in need of hope.
2: I didn't understand in 1997 why God didn't send an angel. But I know that there were angels there. And I know that um, we were protected. And we are living out what his plan is for us. Instead of staying mad at him, I was able to use the story to help others not to give up and to um, keep their faith on their grief journey.
3: I just want people to realize that Jesus is real. There is a heaven. There are angels. And um, to follow his word in the Bible, and life does get better at the end. In her book, Faith Has Its Reasons,
1: Julie says God has used their experience to bring others closer to him and has brought new blessings to them.
2: It is a huge blessing that I get to watch my child tell others about Jesus. He is always willing to let others know that there is a heaven because he's been there.
3: I know I'm doing it for Jesus. I know that he's real. I know that angels are there. I know that there's a heaven. I'm not doing it for someone who I don't know or I've never seen. I've seen Jesus. I know he's there. He's asked me to do this, and this is what I'm doing.
0: Well, I hope that their story and stories like that will be an encouragement to you that no matter what you face, where you're at, we have a hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me give you one last thought, and and that is put your hope, and you can have faith in the character of Jesus. You can have faith in the character of Jesus. You know, Julie was very honest that sometimes when bad things happen, um, you know, we don't know why. We, we don't understand why. Why did God allow this? Why did this happen? And, and sometimes when we don't understand uh, all of the ways of the things around us, those are the times that we have to really go back and say, do I have hope? Do I have confidence in the character of God? Um, so what, what are we talking about? Well, believe in his power. You know, Jesus said that he is the resurrection and life. Do you believe that he's a man of integrity? Do you believe that he can really do what he says he can do? And we need to take him at his word. Do you have trust in his goodness? Um, Look at me, church. Do you believe God is good? Do you really believe he's good? because sometimes when, when things happen and they go the way that we don't we don't want them to happen or things don't go the way that we think they should and we got to step back a little second to say do i really believe in my heart of hearts that this god that i'm serving is really a good god and can i put confidence in that uh, if if so that takes us to a third step then then can i surrender to his will can i surrender to his will how many of you have discovered that God's will was not always your will and that His timing is not always your timing? Have you discovered that? You know, and sometimes, again, we, we've got to say, you know what, Lord, I, I, I'm not I'm not even going to begin to say that I've got you all figured out, but you know what? I, I put my hope in your will because I believe that you really do know what's best. And lastly, you can rest in His love. When all else fails, here, here's what I want you to to, to to take with you today. Remember how much God loves you, because He really does love you more than you could possibly imagine. I, I love how Paul framed us to the Ephesians in Ephesians three. Throw it up on screen. He says, and may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. And may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to f- understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Have you experienced that love of our Lord Jesus Christ? No. You know, um, Wednesday night, when after we canceled the classes and stuff, uh, we were here, some of us were here trying to kind of put things away and and um, I knew the, the, the storm was moving quickly t- right toward us, and so I had pulled my, can- my car under the canopy, and I was loading stuff in my car and trying to get ready, and I knew that they said this had a, lot, a good bit of hail associated with it, so I was trying to get my, my beautiful blue car out of the, out of, out of the harm's way. And uh, as I was loading stuff in my car, a, a guy in a pickup pulled in the parking lot, and he pulled under the canopy right beside me, and um, he got out of the car, and he was a big guy, probably 6'3", 260, 270. And um, he said, hey, he said, uh, there's a hail core heading right at us. Do you mind if I leave my truck right here for a few minutes? And I said, oh, no problem. Like I was going to tell the guy, no, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and so we got talking. His name was Paul. And we got, we got talking about uh, you know, Oklahoma and weather and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, ever since I told him we had canceled, I said, you know, ever since uh, the whole May 20 tornado in 2013, I said, you know, we've all been just a little bit skittish because of, you know, how bad that was. And he said, yeah. He said, I lived right next door to Plaza Towers at that time. And if those of you who aren't familiar with the storm that came through that day, um, Plaza Towers was one of the two schools that were completely wiped out. And um, Paul said, you know, he said, my wife had actually gone to the school. Our, our daughter uh, had been suffering some allergy things and said she went to the school to get our daughter out of school because the nurse had called and decided to go ahead and get both of our kids, our other kids with her. And she said, my wife had all three kids uh, at home when the tornado hit. And he said, we had no storm shelter. And he said, my wife had our three kids in the tub, and she climbed in on top of them and pulled a mattress over top of her. And he said, when the storm blew through, said, it had completely taken our home. She said, we had the, the wall next to the tub was still intact. And my wife and my children were, were fine and covered in, covered in debris, but our home was completely obliterated. He said, you saw where those kids, that were, there were seven children who were killed in Plaza Towers. I said, that was my, those were the classmates of my daughter. And he, as we began to talk, he, um, he began to talk about, it. he said, you know, that was, that was such a horrible time. And there were so many questions that I had as all of that unfolded. He said, "He said, but Steve, I've got to tell you, I saw the hand of God time and time and time again in the midst of that horrible tragedy." He said, "From from how God watched over us to how God provided." He said, "You know, after after we of course we had no home, and he said we're well, everybody scrambling to try to figure out what's next and." He said, we went to one motel, and he said, then we finally ended up in the embassy suites in in Norman. And he said, like everybody, he said, we were waiting for insurance to help us. We were waiting for Red Cross to help us. And he said, we we didn't know how we were going to make it through all of this. And he said, I'm on this elevator. He said, I got on the elevator at the embassy suites. And he said, these three really big guys got on. Now, this, again, Paul's like 6'3", 270, and he's three really big guys. And I'm thinking, these, these had to be giants from somewhere. And he said, they looked like football players. And he, said, and he said, I'm a big guy, but they were all way bigger than me. And he said, they got on the elevator with me. And he said, my first thought was, is the elevator going to hold all of us? And he said, then my second thought, he said, I looked at these guys and said, you're not here to throw me out, are you? <laughs> and he said, we got talking and kind of laughing together. And they told me that they were in town helping with the cleanup effort from the tornado. And uh, he said, I thanked them for that. And they, they said, well, why are you here at the hotel? And he said, well, I'm one of the families that... We lost our home in the tornado. And he said, and these three huge guys turned to him. And he said, as they listened to his story, one of them reached out his hand and said, can we pray with you? And he said, these three humongous guys, he said, we all joined hands on this elevator. And he said, and they just began to pray God's blessings and God's protection and God's help. And he said, I'm standing in this elevator with the biggest men I've ever seen. And he said, and I'm bawling like a baby. And he said, when they finished praying, he said, the one guy reached in his pocket and he said, he pulled out a stack of $100 gift cards and he started counting them out and giving them to me. And he said, Paul said, I said, you know, no, 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 no. He said, there are a lot of people who need help. I'm not the only one. And they said, yes, but God has brought us to you. He said, Steve, for all of the tragedy that I saw, for all of the heartache that we experienced, he said, I can tell you, I experienced the love of God in ways like I never have before. And you can hope in that love. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask our ushers if they would go ahead and get ready in just a moment. They're going to serve the communion elements to us. And, And I want this morning to be a morning where we lean into God for wherever we need hope. This morning, if, if, if you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to invite you during these next few moments just to open your heart to him, just to say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I put my trust in you. Today can be the first day of a brand new life and a brand new journey for you. For others of us, there may be other ways in our life where we really need the hope of God. Maybe you're going through a difficult place. Maybe your back's against the wall. Maybe you've been wondering, God, can you really get me out of the situation that I'm in? Today, I'm not asking you to put your trust in faith. I'm not asking you to put your hope in your ability to pray. I'm not asking you to put your hope in your well-organized theology. I'm asking you to put your hope in Jesus, the one who loved you enough to give his life for you. As you hold those elements in your hand, I want you to notice the cups are stacked into The cup cup will have your, uh, your juice. The bottom cup will have your bread. But as you hold those in your hand, I, I just want you to think about this morning. Think about God's love for you. And then whatever it is you need God's help or power in your life, I just want to invite you through a simple time of prayer just to reach out to him. After everyone's served, we're going to play a, a beautiful little video song. Let you have just a moment of worship. And after that's over, I'm going to pray for us this morning. Let this be your time where you lean in to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our living hope. Ushers, would you come service serve us, please? fathers we come before you today how grateful we are that you have sent us a living hope in his name is Jesus we don't trust today in our ability to pray we don't trust in our ability to be good we don't trust in our ability to believe things into existence Lord Jesus this morning we put our hope in you Lord, I pray today for each and every person who's here because we all need that hope in a little bit different way. For some of us, Lord, maybe this morning is the first time we've ever reached out to you and ask you to fill our hearts and our life. We confess before you today our need for you, and we believe, Lord Jesus, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has come from heaven to earth just for us. Here, Lord, today we believe in your power. We believe that you can do what you say. You can do that with God all things are possible and I pray that you would breathe that hope into us here today Lord Jesus We trust your goodness We believe that even when we don't understand all the ways that you move We do trust that you are ultimately good and that you have our best interest at heart here today We surrender to your will We know that your ways are not always our ways and your will is not always our will neither is your timing And Lord, today, we trust your wisdom, we trust your heart, we trust you with that. And Lord Jesus, here today, we rest in your love. We hold in our hands this morning the reminders of how much you loved us, this little wafer that represents your body that was broken for us, and this juice that represents your blood that was spilt on a cross. For God so loved us that you came. And here today, we put our hope in you. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And everyone said,